Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Off the Handlebars Podcast. My name is B. Shanice, and I am your host, and we are here today to talk about my very extremely traumatizing jury duty experience. And I know I'm in good energy, but that's because I just got some really good news. Um, However, this is really something that changed my life forever that I will literally never forget. So... Before we jump in, we're going to go ahead and do three good things. If you have not already, please head to at Off the Handlebars Pod to share your three good things. I would love for you to practice gratitude and I would love to celebrate things with you. So, my first good thing is my solid group of friends. I feel like in most of my adulthood, I've had my friends that I've had for years and that I've kind of grown up with, and they have always lived far away. And then when I moved away from home, um, we all really lived far away and I didn't really have a lot of people that were close. And now um, I moved away probably about eight years ago and most of my close friends were actually like my family or my village. Like people I spent most of my time with, the people that I would confide in, all of that was definitely most of my family. Um, it took me a while to find like a solid group of friends. I have friends that I like talk to all the time, but I don't really see as much. And now over the past year or so, I've really gained a solid group of friends that show up for me, that don't judge me, that are here for me through the ebbs and flows of life. Um, you know, it's really been a transitional year and I'm just grateful that me entering into this year and going through another transition soon that I'm going to be able to have them to lean on. And I know that they're there for me, even when I don't know how to show up for myself. They're like, we're showing up for you. Like, even when I don't know what I need, they're like, yeah, so this is what we're about to do. So really grateful for my friends. Shout out to them. They know exactly who they are. And I'm just happy to be in a space that I have people I feel I can depend on and I feel safe with. So really excited about that. Uh, My second good thing is my relationship with my son. I feel like he really um, has grown a lot this past year as well, but he is super duper a mama's boy. And as sour patch as he can be sometimes and the mean things that he will say to me sometimes that I know he really doesn't mean, I just am really grateful for our bond and for the love that we share and the support that we give each other. We really bring out the best and probably the worst out of each other sometimes, but that's okay. We're working through um, all of that, but I'm just really grateful for him and the relationship that we have, and now that he's going to be probably spending more time away from me, I'm just like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? The other day, he tells me, like, anytime he leaves, I miss him so much, literally so, so much, and the other day, he tells me, mommy, um, I'm going to miss you while I'm on the court. And he was talking about my basketball practice. Mind you, I'm going to be at basketball practice. He can see me, right? But just the fact that he's like, I'm not going to be next to you and I'm going to miss you. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I just love this little boy so much. And he loves me too. And I just really cherish our bond um, and our connection because he will definitely stick up for his mama. Don't try it. Don't try it, okay? Um, And vice versa. <laughs> and my third good thing is my ability to be able to pay for therapy I long story short I picked the wrong insurance plan this year and for someone who wants to be in therapy all year 
I went the most expensive route. And although I had a promo code, I didn't sign up right away. They ended up emailing me another promo on top of the promo. And that's what made it affordable for me to sign up. So I know that some people just can't afford it all altogether. Some people are just not interested. If you are interested in looking for financial aid or assistance with it, there are places you can go um, to get that. So also check your employer. Usually they have an employee assistance program that will offer free sessions as well. So since I left my last employer, I lost my last um, therapist back in like May, I think was the last time I saw her, May of 2022. So I'm just now starting back up and I'm just really grateful because I feel like I need it and I could use it. And although I went through a lot of growth in things last year. I want to be as mentally and emotionally healthy this year. So I'm looking forward to therapy starting next week. So that's that. All right. So to jump into this jury duty thing, basically, (laughs) I got finessed into having to go to jury duty. I've been the one finessing them for so long and not having to go. And now they figured out a way to change their system. And basically you receive something in the mail, right? And I've received things in the mails for jury duty summons, jury duty summons for a while. But I ended up um, being able to call a number back in the day. Back in the day is like pre-COVID. So I probably have received like two to four summons the last, you know, eight-ish years I've lived here. Maybe the six, I don't know. Anyways, so um, within the last six years I've received two to four of them. So long story short, they used to send it in the mail on this card and you were able to call this number and they would let you know if you needed to report. And someone told me a life hack that when you call the number and if you wait really late, like 10 or 11 o'clock before you're supposed to report, basically all the people that they were already looking for that they sent it out to, they already have, right? So they end up calling like during like the early evening and if you wait then they basically say they don't need you they have enough people so I did that a couple of times so in 2020 was the last time I did that then the pandemic hit or you know we were in the pandemic so I was like okay I don't have to go because I waited then 2022 comes and I get another one in the mail and this one says go on this website confirm you received this in the mail and then you still log in within so many hours before reporting to ensure your your attendance is still needed. So I'm over here like, okay, well, I definitely um, received it. So let me go ahead and <laughs> say that I got it. But then I didn't realize that basically you saying that you got it confirms your attendance. So I'm maybe next time I get it, you'll have to wait until, and this is just for my state, so it could be different. But I have to basically wait until my hours that they say to even acknowledge that I received it I don't know it was crazy so I ended up being called and having to report on like July 5th so this was right after the holiday however I ended up catching COVID for the second time last year and I emailed them at the email they had listed and let them know I wasn't going to be able to make it so I do that and they emailed me back at first. I was really scared. Like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to report tomorrow. Like I ended up testing positive on the weekend and they're closed for the holiday. Like, I hope I don't get arrested because I didn't show up, blah, blah, blah. Like all those things that you kind of go through or hear through the grapevine about 
jury duty just kind of goes from one extreme to another but um they were completely okay with me having covid and not showing up they're like that's fine we'll just send you another summons and i'm like all right cool i'm good for a minute right i'm thinking i got at least another two years like a month later i get in the mail another one and it's for labor day week so the last one was fourth of july so i'm like okay y'all just don't want me to be great for the holiday now this one is labor day and i'm like y'all really don't want me to be great in life this year because labor day is always legend's birthday celebration and with it being his fifth birthday we went all out for him okay literally all out so i'm telling you this because i want y'all to know how much of a high i came off of to go into this very traumatizing experience and being forced to sit in a courtroom for X amount of days. So he ends up, um, his birthday is on a Saturday, but he ends up being able to celebrate at school. So my sister and I go to his school that Friday and we do like a little celebration with the whole class. It was super cute and adorable. I have pictures from that. I can probably post if you guys wanna see on, on my story. I'll show you pictures from that. Um, and then, um, my parents and I ended up buying lunch for him for his class. And we ended up taking like these goodie boxes cause the theme was basketball. So it was like these basketball boxes with like little trinket toys and, uh, snacks and candy and stuff all in there. So we end up doing the celebration at school. Then that Friday night we had a family birthday party and I was just like, really excited for everyone who flew in or traveled to be here for his birthday weekend to all spend time together as like a village and to love on legend as he needed and deserved excuse me for this birthday this was his first time having like a class of people that he could potentially you know invite to his birthday party and friends a solid group of friends that have invited him to their birthdays so I was like I definitely want to do a birthday party but I do want us to have our regular family one because we always have our family one so we did that Friday night we had a bomb time we gave him all of our gifts so that we didn't have to like take them to the place where the birthday party was at and then bring them back and we ended up being able to turn up and be at home and be safe and be as loud as we wanted dance laugh drink eat whatever we had so much fun Friday night. We gave him, um, I think he had cupcakes that day and we sang happy birthday and he got to play upstairs with his friends and his cousins. And it was just a great time. Like his, his friend Davey, who's in the neighborhood with us. So, um, it was really, really great to just like be together as a village supporting him and loving on him. Then Saturday comes and that's the day of the birthday party. So we had like 17 kids from school it was 15 that I paid for and two of them brought their siblings which was fine I didn't mind um so it was like a whole bunch of kids and then it was all of their parents then it was all of the village and then it was like our friends that don't have younger kids that were also there too that came to support him so it was probably a good like 45 50 people that came to his birthday party at this huge bounce house the theme was basketball so we all had on jerseys and we looked super cute um so much fun to let the kids like get the energy out and him to celebrate with both his family and his friends they did like an hour of jumping and then the last 30 minutes was like pizza and cake and ice cream and all that we had a super dope cake to shout out to her um i think her name is sugar genius 1918 or something like that on instagram but we had a really dope cake um and we just had a great 
time at the birthday party I was playing music everybody was just vibing and they were just like couldn't believe like how many people were there and things like that because we've been to probably like two or three other birthday parties at the same exact place for the school and there was just not as many people and they were just like wow Brittany like you really got a lot of people that showed up for legend and I was like yeah we we pull up pretty deep um my brother and Ellie ended up coming in and surprising um Jalen that he didn't know that they were coming from Arizona so that was really dope and legend was like super excited that uncle JJ was there so everybody literally was there for him and after the birthday party we as a village booked boat rentals through his uncle's uh, boat company on the lake so we head to Publix we're changing it from our jerseys and our party outfits to <laughs> our bathing suits and cover-ups we get a whole bunch of food we got chicken mind you Publix has the best fried chicken if you haven't tried it yet go try it. it's fire um so we got chicken we got snacks we got drinks we were just ready to party right so we end up going on the lake on two boats for five hours and it was amazing so amazing we got to dance we got to drink we got to get in the water we went to the sandbar we just like took so many beautiful pictures. We got to jet ski. It was so amazing. Um, and I just really loved the fact that um, we could come together as a family. We got two boats and there was probably, I think like 22 of us total, 24, something like that. And so it was just like all of the village coming together to love on legend celebrate. He probably had the biggest birthday celebration that any of us have had at five years old. And my mom made sure of it um my dad and my stepmom made sure of it his nana and his poppy made sure of it um his uncle made sure of it everybody that came in and paid all my brothers and sisters um everybody that showed up all of our friends and close family our cousins like everything was just amazing and they really showed up for legend so then sunday he wanted to spend the time or spend the, some time at my parents house so he goes over there and then my friend was having a birthday brunch at a rooftop we got all cute and we were having shots and just hanging out, eating a little bit. Then we ended up getting this, leaving there and getting a section at a bar, which was so turned up. It was like outside summertime fire. It was so fire. It was so much fun. So we had a great time. I ended up leaving by like 830 though, because mm, yeah, of that, about that staying out till 2 a.m. thing. It just really doesn't work for me as well anymore, especially when I'm drinking. Um, so I ended up getting home, but I was still up to like late because I was just sitting there talking to my family and my friends at the table once we got home. So that happened. And then Monday we just like hung out as a family at the house and, you know, we cooked and just spent time together how we do. So I come off this amazing freaking weekend, right? Like so high off life and love and laughter and memories and legend being happy and me being happy for legend then i have to show up to jury duty on september 6 2022 and i tell you this is something i'll never forget i definitely thought they were not going to pick me right so what happens is you confirm your attendance or whatever through the website which i got got on that i know better next time i confirm my attendance I end up going to um, the courthouse. They tell you where to park, which parking is validated, which is nice. So you park, but then you got to walk to the courthouse, walk in, go up the elevators to the floor. And then there's like this huge jur jury room, juror room or whatever. And 
it's like a two-story room where there's like TVs, a whole bunch of chairs. There's like a mini kitchenette. There's window machines. There's like a pool table. They play movies because there's a lot of waiting in jury duty. So you get in, you check in. I'm thinking I'm running mad late, which I was late. But when I get there, there's like this huge line. So I'm like, okay, they didn't even realize I was late. So it was cool. So I end up checking in. They're basically like, all right, take a seat. If we call your name, then you'll have to go, whatever. Wait, they're waiting for everybody to get checked in and settled and figure out when the court cases are going to start. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I go upstairs and I find a place to sit and I'm just like waiting. The lady comes on the intercom and she's basically like, oh, well, you don't, we don't have that many cases today. Um, two of them are like not active right now. So I think we only have like three that we have to fill and blah, blah, blah. Like one of them already has some and the other ones we have to start fresh or something like that. And I'm like, okay, cool. So the chances of me getting called are really, really slim. But then I get called in the first batch. So they're like, you know, they call my name. I walk downstairs, get in line. We follow the deputy to the courtroom. And when we walk in, it's basically the state prosecutor, um, the defendant and his public defender or lawyer obviously the staff that's in there for the courtroom and the judge. And then it's like a group of like 20 jurors that they're trying to select out of. And apparently they told us they already had eight. So they only needed two more that were actually going to be part of the regular jurors. And then they needed two more after that for the reserve. So in case anything were to happen with us first 10, they had two more that could fill in and kind of knew what was happening. So we end up going in and we sit in the, in the benches and they tell us that there is a, somebody that's in our group that was already being questioned. I guess they do like these screenings, right? So he's already sitting up there in the seat that he was sitting in from the Friday. So this is something that's been ongoing for like a week already of them trying to select certain people to be in part of this juror in this case. And, um, this juror selection. So basically he sits up there and then I'm like, well, there's 20 of us in here. They only need four. There's no way I'm going to be called. Psych your mind. I'm the first name called. So I go sit up there in the juror section and there's two of us. He's sitting behind me and then there's one and I'm sitting in like in the front. And basically they start screening you, asking you all these questions about, how you feel about drugs, how you feel about gang violence, if you know anybody that's been to prison, if you know anybody that's been addicted to drugs, if you know anybody that has been a part of a, a gang, if you know anybody that um, has, do you believe that a, a person in a gang can be a victim? Like, how do you feel about firearms? Do you own any firearms? Like all types of stuff they start asking. They get really, really into your business. I felt so intimidated by everything that was going on. And I was just basically like, WTF. Um, the first thing that he asked me, the press, they basically both ask you. So the state prosecutor and the, uh, what's his name? The public defender ask you these questions to try to screen to see if you're a good match. Pretty much. They ask you about your job, what you do. If you have people that report to you, basically how important your job is. If you have kids, if you need to pick up anybody, if you can be there during the allotted time, it's just a lot. First thing they asked me was something about the law. And I was like, well, basically the law is already written. Like you either abide by it or you don't. And if you don't, then there are consequences. And he was like, oh, good answer. And I feel like that's what messed me up because I didn't hear the other screening questions yet. That was literally like the one of the first questions he asked me. And I'm like, since I answered that the way I did, 
that's why he probably kept me up there all day. Long story short, I'm literally sitting there all morning going through these questions. They're filtering out people behind me in that one seat. The guy behind me, the first guy that was up there, he ends up getting away or getting dismissed or not selected because he said that he believes everybody in a gang is a liar. He was very like biased about it and said like, yeah, I just don't trust them. I just don't trust them. And there's nothing they could say to me to make me believe that they're telling the truth. And they're like, okay, well, yeah, you're not going to be good for this case. So they dismiss him. And I'm like, okay, so basically he had heard the question, the screening questions for the other people that actually got selected and I hadn't. So he knew probably what to say to get out. And I was just really scared. I don't know. It was weird. There's like a whole bunch of deputies in there. There's like the person who's being allegedly charged with all of these crimes and I'm just like this is crazy so it's a very intimidating situation we end up um going through probably like a good six seven people before they select this guy this other guy um and they say that you know he was very cut and dry in his answers like no, I'm not bothered by this. No, I don't have any, you know, work into this. Like they are very particular and select who they want. They wanted to make sure you all had degrees so that you didn't feel like you were being stupid. And you know, that you, that people that were lying, you didn't feel like they were lying or whatever the case may be. Like they, they wanted people that were not basically like in that lifestyle or knew much about that lifestyle. So they, we could have like an unbiased opinion on this whole situation. And it was just like really, wild is the best way I can say it so during day one I sat in the front pretty much the whole day till they selected the second person and then they both agreed that they were going to keep me and him so then we get dismissed for the day and I'm telling my family like oh my gosh I can't believe I'm going to have to do this like I thought I was going to literally show up and be gone by lunchtime and be able to spend the rest of my time with my family that's in town for legend's birthday and that was not the case at all um, they're also like, you can't tell anybody about this case. You can't go look up anything online. You can't go and see what you, um, you know, you can't look up, like you can't go to the actual crime scene. You can't go make your own conclusions. Like basically you have to listen to everything in this courtroom, wait until all the evidence is presented and don't share it with anybody. And we'll come to a conclusion at the end pretty much. And I'm just like, so not only do I have to make sure that I don't look into the case, right? That's understandable. But now I can't even talk to people about what I'm hearing and experiencing like that are in my life that are close to me. I have to hold all this in and the judge is like, please don't make me like find out that you did any of this and I gotta, you know, fine you or send you to jail for up to a maximum of 30 days or something. And I'm like, first of all, nobody's going to jail. Let's just chill here. <laughs> like, let's just stop there. Chill out on that. Um, I mean, I get it. It's his job, right? He has to say that. But I was also like, wow, you're you're really about this life. I get it. Okay, whatever. So I leave. And then the second day, I have to return back. They have a certain room in place for returning jurors and so that you're not basically mingling along around the rest of the people that have not been selected yet um, or that are in selection process for another case. Um, they tell you you can't even sit on that floor during your breaks or anything like you have to get off this floor because you, they don't want you to hear any of the cases or overhear anybody speaking to their lawyers or anything like that. Like it's very, very strict and calculated, I think. Um, obviously, there's a reason behind their process, but it's very, very strict and calculated. 
So the second day I get there in the morning and I'm basically just sitting and waiting again. And they say, um, as we're waiting for people to final finalize the selection of the two reserves, we end up making it to like lunch. And then they're like, okay, we're ready to go. We found everybody that we need. So the second day in the afternoon after lunch, we come back and we start the trial. And basically it starts by the judge tells us about the case and he's like, okay, so this person is being charged by the state with attempted first degree murder, assault with a deadly weapon with intent to kill or inflicting serious injury and possession of firearm. And I'm like, at first I'm like, okay, this is pretty intriguing, right? Like, I don't expect it to go a lot of a long time. Like we just listened to the evidence. He did it or he didn't. And we'll just move on. And at first I was like, you know, with my, I have a minor in criminal justice, which I end up telling them that too. So I think that's another reason why they're like, oh yeah, we need her. Um, but I was like, you know, I, I'm intrigued to see how this all really works in real life. I've only seen it on TVs and learned about it in school. And so well, then he goes to say, yeah, it's probably going to go into the middle of next week. And I'm like, the middle of next week? Like, we can't speed this process up? Like, it's already Wednesday. And you're telling me it's going to be a whole nother week of this whole trial before we're able to come to a conclusion and actually talk about it amongst our juror selection, like our jur- jurors that have been selected? I'm like, bruh, you tripping. <laughs> and he was dead serious. So we end up sitting there the first afternoon. They do their opening arguments. So the state prosecutor who's actually charging him with this, with these charges says what he says. And he's like, blood in, blood out. And just remember that in this case. And he was shot, the victim was shot 12 times. And remember that his daughter was present. And all he was doing was walking down the street from taking his daughter down, you know, to the park. And it's very like dramatic and it's very... They like use certain higher pitches and stuff in court when they want you to be connected to their story or their side. It's really weird. It's super calculated. And I, for a moment, I felt like I'm like, oh my God, am I in a freaking SVU episode? Like, that's what it sounds like. Like, it wasn't TV, but it sounded very scripted and like it was TV. So I'm like, I'm sitting in a courtroom listening to something that sounds like I'm watching it on TV. It was wild. So the prosecutor comes up, then the the public defender comes up who's defending the defendant. And he basically says like his opening argument, he's like, you know, remember um, about the identity. Is this really the person that did this and things like that? Like, that's really what stuck out to me. So we have these notebooks, we're able to take notes and they bring up like the first people, which are the 911 dispatcher and calls and things like that. We listen to all those calls and to just hear people's reaction to that is like reaction to what happened that day is very um, heartbreaking pretty much is the best way I can put it. I made sure that I wrote down as much as I could, but also like trying to focus on what I'm hearing, trying to put myself at the crime scene as like a fly on the wall to try to envision how all of this went down and to piece together like if it's really this man or not was 
probably one of the hardest things I've done was try to take in all this information and figure out what to believe and what not. At some point, I felt like everybody was lying. I'm like, and then at, at some point, I also felt like at multiple points, I'm like, well, that makes sense. So maybe the public defender's right, or that makes sense. So maybe the state prosecutor's right. Like, it was so hard to believe and to go back and forth and back and forth. And it was just wild. Then the person who got shot comes up on the witness stand and tells his part of what he remembers from that day. And mind you, the incident happened a year and a half before we even were in court in September, 2022. So it's like, you really want us to believe that everything they're saying from something that happened a year and a half ago is true and accurate right and not saying that the person that that it happened to doesn't remember what happened to him because obviously any of us remember a very traumatic event however the the very minute details and things of what they said that day versus what they're saying in court has not always aligned because it is a year and a half later so trying to filter through all of the truth and the the judge always said like make sure that what you are hearing you are taking it as facts and to see if it aligns with xyz not the fact that this person is 100 percent telling the truth like he made that very clear and so i'm just like oh my god this is stressful like i'm i'm feeling tension in my back right now just thinking about how stressed i was so the witness comes up he tells his mom comes up and he she speaks and Basically, she had the daughter that day, but allowed him to take her because they were not allowing the dad to see the kid because he was using drugs at the time. But she was also a former drug addict, so she knew that he wasn't on drugs that day. So that's why she allowed him to take the baby to the park. And it was just a lot of like generational like trauma that was recycling within this courtroom that I also was just very heartbroken about I don't really know a different word like I was very um, burdened with what they were going through and processing and we hear then the recording of the detectives going to see him at the hospital and basically he says the detective walks in and she says okay your sister was at the crime scene and she told us that you said that that um what was it that scraps was the one who shot you and he's like no it was stripes so apparently although there were witnesses um at the scene nobody saw who shot the gun except for the victim and he was the one who identified him he was the only one who identified him but as soon as they said somebody else's name at the hospital i was like wait a second so is he just blaming somebody like is he blaming this man sitting in here or was it really this man that did this like it was so hard to determine the truth I'm not gonna lie it was so hard very they made it very difficult even though they tried to make it very cut and dry and black and white it, there was so much gray area still so I'm like okay um they said scraps it might have been stripes mind you these are all gang and street names so I'm also like I have no idea how this all works like I would hate for someone to be like well such and such shot me but I'm gonna blame it on Britney because I got beef for Britney or whatever the case may be like I want Britney to go down for this instead of who really did it like I would never want that to happen so I kept that in the back of my mind 
as soon as that red flag, like I literally flagged it in my notebook. I'm like, okay, this, these names are different. Um, so apparently, you know, the victim says that the, he didn't really know the guy that well, but it comes out later in the case that he did know him very well. They shared a best friend. The best friend ended up being shot and killed like three weeks before this. So it's just like a lot of pieces that went into this. A lot of the puzzles matched and a lot of them did not. And going through all these witnesses, we had the cell phone people. We had the detectives that showed up that day. We had um, the dispatcher supervisor and telling us how they even have this recording and how it's saved and how they handle calls and all of that and then they had the SWAT team who ended up arresting the guy who was sitting there being accused of all of this and then they had that footage of him running as soon as they pulled up to the house and him running outside and trying to jump the fence and him getting pulled down from the fence by his pants and his booty hanging all out like they had all these things happening and I'm just like what is happening why do we have to deal with all of this like i get it but also it's way too much it's way too much for me like i'm not emotionally stable enough to deal with all that i am having to take in with this case so then uh we also have him the defendant in the in the interrogation room and they're like asking him all these questions and He's based, it comes out then that he also was using drugs at this part. And then they like mute a lot of it because it doesn't have to do with the case. So it's like two hours of an interrogation that gets probably down to like an hour and 15 minutes based off what's relevant to our case. Apparently the detective that went to go question him was from North Carolina and he's in like South Carolina jurisdiction. So he already knew this detective because he had previously had ran in with the authorities and he was pre previously in prison for like an armed robbery or something before. So mind you, these kids are like, and I call them kids because they're very young. They're like 20, between the ages of 26 and 28. So I'm like, y'all cannot be throwing away your lives like this. Like the streets are just not worth it. And so that's also something that was hard for me to wrap my mind about or wrap my mind around. So we go through all these witnesses. He would, so that the nobody can talk, right? So nobody talks in the room except for the people on the witness stand or in the courtroom, except for the people on the witness stand, the prosecutor and the, the public defender, they both ask the witness questions or whatever and present all these things to evidence. And every time they had to, they wanted to use something as evidence, they're like exhibit number, blah, 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 presented to the state as evidence. And we went from like exhibit number one all the way to when exhibit 112 or something. There was a lot of evidence that came in. Um, a lot of pictures and things. So a lot of it was surrounding the same thing, but it was just a lot like cell phone records and maps and towers that he was detected on and things like that. So or that the cell phone was detected on. I shouldn't say he that the cell phone was. So we go through all of that. The first time we hear the defendant speak was when he was getting interrogated by the North Carolina detective. And he asked for a cigarette and they're like, he's like, you got a cigarette, man, you got a cigarette. And he's like, it's not my, you know, the detective was like, it's not my jurisdiction, jurisdiction. You know, if you were in North Carolina, like I got you, he was like, cause they had known each other. Right. And so he like the detective, like leans out the window and was like, or leans out the door, like, Hey, do you guys have cigarettes? And they're like, no, we only have tobacco. And the defendant goes, well, can I roll that ish up? <laughs> and we start like cracking up. Like he was super funny. Um, but needless to say, he's being charged for this crime and we had to like reel it in. So he was really funny in the interrogation video though. Like I was like, oh man, like he's, 
he's a human you know you see him in this courtroom and he has like this real mean demeanor on and like he can't say anything and you see his responses and his facial expressions and his body language to things that people are saying but he literally has not spoken a word not one word they will not let him say anything and you see his responses when he's trying to talk to his lawyer about you know what he's hearing what people are saying and then he's like no like Basically, the victim was saying he only knew him a couple times, and he's like, bro, I was literally with him on Bobo, who is their best friend that got shot. He was like, on Bobo's mom's porch, like, two weeks before this happened, or a week after Bobo got shot, or whatever. Like, this is crazy. So I could hear little things like that, but at the same time, he's literally just sitting there. And then, like, just seeing them look at each other, the tension was so thick. And I'm like, they obviously know each other, right? But... If he's the one that really did it, it's still in question. That's what they're trying to prove. But the way that they would look at each other, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is wild. Because they can't say anything unless they're on the witness stand. Of course, the defendant doesn't take the witness stand. The only witness they end up calling up was the same detective, lead detective that the state used as well. So basically, the defendant's lawyer kept trying to say like, can you trust this source pretty much? Can you trust what they're saying? Because they made it very clear in this courtroom that this side of town, these things happen all the time and they are very much um, a norm. And he wanted us to believe that they don't treat these, that the authorities don't treat these crimes the same or investigate them the same as they do other neighborhoods within the Charlotte area. And I'm just like, I don't know who to believe. I really don't. I didn't know that the lead detective was fine. <laughs> I remember that part. But just because he was cute didn't mean that he was telling the truth. I didn't really know. I don't know. Not saying that he got up there and lied. I just know that obviously the state works together, right? So the state prosecutor and the detectives and the authorities all work together. And I was just like, okay, let's just take all the information um, and go back to the room. So day two in the afternoon all the way through day six we literally go through all the witnesses all the audios trying to figure out who scraps was apparently they never interviewed scraps or found out who he was um the sister that was present never ended up coming up to the witness stand um the witness that there was a neighbor who was there but her back was turned she ended up coming up and her story would kind of change a bit from the day of until she was in the courtroom again it's been a year and a half so that i get it um but she kind of says what she saw she never saw the guy's face of who shot the gun she claims that she you know she only saw like his hand the bottom of his hand and the gun and like his knees so basically what happened was the guy's walking the the guy that got shots walking down the street from taking his daughter to the park the car comes to a really hard stop and the tires screech and he says what's up p-word boy and shoots out the window boom 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 shoots him like three times then skirts off so at this time the neighbor across the streets hears what happens and the um the sister who's in the house hears it outside because he's right across the street from his mom's house so they both run over to him. The witness, the neighbor is trying to go through the, the baby's bag to see if there's something to stop the bleeding. Um, the victim kind of like, like pushes himself up a little bit and scoots himself to get higher to the porch to try to get help, you know, to try to get on the, um, the porch of the house in, that he fell in front of. And as he's doing that, I guess 
the person that shot him saw him get up and move and he turns around does a u-turn comes back and once they say he's coming back he's coming back by this time the daughter and the sister are on the other side of the, across the street so they run in the house and the girl the neighbor who's helping him runs to the side of the house so she couldn't see his face he he jumps out the car shoots him again at close range eight times gets back in the car and drives off mind you you can hear on the 911 calls when they're like oh he's coming back he's coming back oh my god i think he killed him he killed him like it was a lot y'all like i was just like a mentally and emotionally distraught and completely drained after hearing all of this and then i'm supposed to make a decision on if this is if these charges are true and if this guy is the one who did all of this like it was a lot i i don't even know how i made it through those days especially without um being able to talk to anybody about it and then thankfully my job ended up giving me more hours for jury duty once i showed that it wasn't completely done yet and they were like okay that's fine like we'll add more hours um so at the end of day six, we get to go to the deliberation, which is when the jurors can finally talk about all that they've seen, all that they've heard, go over their notes, come to a conclusion. It's like this huge conference room. So we have a whiteboard, we have windows, we can see like the city or whatever, we're uptown Charlotte. So we can see out. Um, and by the time we get in there, it's like 4.30 at night. So we literally or 4 30 in the evening we have like 30 minutes left and we all just like word vomit everybody's just like oh my gosh like it's our first time being able to talk about it everybody's brain dumping everybody's like saying what they think everybody's talking about what they have questions about what's unclear everybody's going over their notes like can you believe did he do it oh my god Ugh. so we all just like literally let it all out at the table and then somebody one guy's like okay guys now that we've gotten all this out, like, can we please, like, come with a strategic way tomorrow? Because we're not going to figure it out in 30 minutes. Like, we're not even able to basically, like, think straight right now because it's so much. So we end up coming back on day seven. Um, and we're sitting in this room going through. Basically, there were, like, six people that were convinced it was him. They were like, well, he said it was him. It had to be him. And that's when I brought up the fact, like, somebody could be mad at me and just want me to go down for something I didn't do, but say it's me. And they're the only one that saw that it was who it really was. But they said it's me. So y'all just gonna automatically believe that he said that. Like, let's go based off the actual facts and evidence that we have versus the just because he said it, that's it. Um, so there was like four of us and three of us were black and maybe one person was white. And he was like, you know let's lay out the facts so we start writing on the whiteboard we designate who we call college girl she's this young super cute tall um black girl who helped us like she was the one who talked to the deputy took the manila folder with all the different papers in it for like this charge mark guilty or not guilty this charge mark guilty or not guilty we end up writing out the definitions and if we think like this happened then this happened obviously if he if we thought that he was guilty for attempted first degree murder and assault with a deadly weapon then obviously we automatically 
knew that he was in possession of a firearm. So the third one was kind of a given, but the other ones we had to really break down the definition and go through all the evidence. Or like, okay, we notice he uses his left hand. So if he's if he's left-handed, could he shoot out the window? We were trying to figure out if somebody else was in the car because they kept bringing up the fact that there was possibly somebody else in the car in, during the trial. And I'm just like, bruh, this is a lot. This is a lot. So... I was really against it at first. I'm not going to lie. Me and college girl were not really set. There was another guy in there who wasn't set. And then another guy too, that wasn't set. Um, they, there were some people who were trying to convince us and we were just still like not sold. So we had to go through all the evidence guys. We basically combed through everything. We pulled up Google maps at this point, trying to see, you know, cause the only picture of the car they had was one from a corner store. They never verified the DNA was on the gun. They couldn't find the gun. The cell phone track that they did go far away from their house, like down in South Carolina, and then come back, but they never verified or confirmed that the car was the girlfriend's car. They basically just said it, like, okay, well, that's his girlfriend's car, and the victim said he's rode in the girlfriend's car before. So it was just like they, the hard facts weren't all the way there, but the defendant's actions after the quote-unquote crime is kind of what was suspect right so where where he they showed that he basically like changed his number um he ends up type texting all these people like hey new number this stripes whatever and then he ends up going to look up the news articles and he's looking up to search his own name on the warrant website for the sheriff's department and i'm just like if you're not guilty of a crime are you going to see if you have a warrant out for your arrest for this crime? You know, that's kind of suspect. So by this time, I'm like crying because we have to make a decision and I'm sick to my stomach on the decision we're about to make. I go to the bathroom and I remember just taking a break and listening to my own thoughts because I was by myself and not listening to what everybody else was saying. And I remember thinking, okay, there is evidence that points that it's not him that it could be somebody else that actually shot him. There could have been somebody else in the car. There could have been X, Y, Z. They don't, you know, they could be not telling the truth. I, it's hard to believe everybody and just take their word. Um, but the evidence showing that it was him was kind of outweighing that, that like my, my denial of it being him. So there was evidence that showed and proved it couldn't, that there was a chance it wasn't him, but it didn't outweigh the fact that they were proving it was him. So at this point, I'm sick because I'm still to this day, y'all, not 100% sure that it was him or not. I'm not going to lie. But I had to make a decision based off the evidence that we had and based off what the law says. It's literally written down. It says what it is. So we went through like each definition and marked, okay, this part is true. This part is true. This part is questionable. This part is true. Like this part is a no, not necessarily. You know, like we went through all of that for an entire day. When I say entire day, literally like nine to five. So we end up getting the envelope back to the deputy. They take it in, they bring us back in the courtroom and then they end up reading. There's someone in the admin that ends up reading what we came to the conclusion of, which was finding him guilty on all three counts of these charges. And by the time we get into the courtroom, I'm already, I've already cried probably twice, probably more than what I've had. It was right before we went into the, back into the courtroom after we gave the envelope was probably, all you could hear was like sniffles, tears, 
people were crying. Like it was very, very difficult to make this decision. And I remember staring out the window and just praying like, God, I am sick to my stomach. Please give me some comfort in knowing I'm making the right decision because I am sick and I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. I'm bawling my eyes out. I feel horrible. I can't believe I even got bamboozled into having to actually do this whole thing for the last seven, eight days. I'm over it. After what I went through that weekend before, which I kind of touched on in Traumas and Tribulations episode, um, I think it's episode number nine, maybe. Um, yeah, I just like, I'm like, I'm, I'm too triggered and too unstable to even feel like I can make this decision, but I have no choice but to make this decision right now. So they read it and basically the public defender challenges it because he could see that like me, college girl, two other women, like we were all crying. Like even people that were like not even questioning it the way that me and college girl were, they were crying too. Like it sucks. It really sucks. This is somebody's child. This is somebody's dad that both the, both the victim and the defendant both have kids, really young kids from ages like one to three. Like these babies are about to potentially grow up without a dad. Like, and one could have got killed and had to grow up without a dad. Like, it's really unfortunate situation. And so um, they could see we were all crying and very upset and not like 100% sold, I guess, to the point to where the public defender was like, I'm challenging it. Basically, when you challenge it, you have to come up. Um, each person has to stand up on the jurors on the jury selection and stand up and agree to like, yes, yes, yes. And the energy was so low. Like even when they were asking us, even the people that were like sold on it, they were just like, yes, like, yes. Um, you know, do you agree to guilty of this? Do you agree to guilty of this? We're just like, yes. I get up, I say yes. Um, there was a lot of big sighs. And then as soon as I sit down, I'm crying again. Like it was hard. So we get to like the third or fourth person and the defendant's like, man, F that, man. I ain't do that ish, man. They got the wrong person. Like, man, get me up out this courtroom. Give me, like, I ain't got to hear no more. And they have to go through all 10 of us because his, you know, his lawyer challenged it or whatever. And he's like, get me out this courtroom right now, man. I ain't do that ish. I ain't do that ish. And he's just like very upset. And I feel so bad like I'm like did he really not do it like we don't know still oh my god there's nothing to tell like it wasn't anything like in the straight and narrow and so we're bawling whatever they get through all of us they end up calming him down and they tell us like okay um now you have to go back to the deliberation room because we have to to figure out if you all feel like he is guilty or not of an aggravated aggravated assault which means, or aggravated crime, which means that someone under the 18, under the age of 18 was present. They have made this very clear in the case, right? So in the, during the trial, they had evidence, witnesses said it multiple times. So we're like, okay, um, this one was easy. We didn't want to have to go back in there and see him again, but I guess it's part of the process. Why they didn't just ask us that in the beginning, I don't know, but maybe because it can't be an aggravated crime if he's not guilty of it in the first place so maybe that's why that's probably why so anyways I'm like okay so we go we're like all right this one's quick we all agree yes boom 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 all right mark it, mark it sign it whatever um then we end up going back in there and then they're like okay we're about to do the sentencing mind you by this time it's like literally like 5 15 and I'm like are we getting out of here today like I guess they're gonna crunch it all in and we didn't end up leaving till like six but they do the sentencing, they ask, um, or before 
they before they determine what this and before the judge says what the sentencing is going to be he asks okay state of state of prosecutor do you have anything else you want to say and so you know he basically thanked us for our time and our attention to this trial and um paying attention to the details of this evidence and things and he said what he recommends the sentence being then the public defender speaks which is the defendant's lawyer and he's like okay well um you know i think he should have x amount of years or time based off the law like the state prosecutor went really high he's like the max of what he can get he needs to get pretty much and the public defender was like i wouldn't say he needs this much like i would say he needs this much and then the judge asked the defendant if he has anything to say and he stands up and he goes i'm just gonna talk to the jurors really quickly like i don't really have anything to say to anybody else in this courtroom but i want the jurors to know like i'm not mad at y'all i hope y'all not mad at me like i'm not this monster that they're painting me out to be i understand you guys had a job you had to do and I just want y'all to please pray for me where you can. He was like, I was giving this one to God. Like if I, if this goes in my favor, like I promise I'm going to be on the straight and narrow. I'm not going to be doing all this reckless stuff that I was doing before. He was like, I know I haven't been squeaky clean, but I promise I'm a good person. And mind you again, cue tears. I'm bawling my eyes out, bawling. And he's just like, you know, um, basically like you know i'm trying to be better and god's not done with me yet and y'all just keep me in your prayers and he was like a couple of y'all was kind of cute i was gonna look you up on facebook or whatever he's like oh my bad judge i shouldn't say that like we're cracking up at this point and i'm just like oh my gosh um but he was just like yeah you know just keep me in your prayers and you know i'm gonna appeal this case i'm not done yet i'm gonna prove that it wasn't me and just went on this whole speech and they honestly gave me the comfort that I needed because I was like I may not have made the right decision right I'll never really know because I was not there I'm not the one that was shot thank god I'm not the one that was the shooter thank god like I just wasn't in that place only them to know if they were really the two people that were there um nobody else knows and they've been based off the evidence there's speculation that it could have been him there's speculation that it wasn't him but him looking himself up and all that is kind of what gave it away. Then he also had receipts from that same gun that they claim they found in shell cases that they found at the, um, they didn't find the gun ever, but the, the shell cases or the bullet cases that they found at the crime scene matched the gun that he had a receipt for. They show where he had his girlfriend go buy the gun because obviously he can't. Um, his girlfriend never came up that, you know, they, there was even a part in time where they said the girlfriend said that you were gone this day and it was just a lot. Um, so he ends up making me feel better, but I felt really bad. Um, I still go back to the, then after it's all done, they take him away. They give him his sentencing. It's all in months. So I had no idea how long he got. So they take us back to the conference room the deliberation room where we're all able to talk about it and we're like okay they're like wait for the judge he's gonna come back and talk to you guys mind you we are ready to go okay we were ready to go before we even turn the paper in we're like let's get this over and get up out of here we are done with all of this it has been so long so drawn out and so taxing so the judge ends up coming back and he basically like thanks us for our time he apologizes that it took so long um, but he's like, you know, I thank you guys. And do you have any questions? So they're like asking questions. Some people are like asking about like identity and if they like, people will be able to come find them and stuff. If the people that 
they decided to put in prison was going to come find them. And there was a lot of racism happening in that room too. I'm going to just side note that to where college girl at this point was like, get me the fuck out of here. Like I'm done. Like I'm not doing this with them. We've made a decision. Like get me out of here. She's being so extra right now. There were a few older ladies that were just being mad extra. Um, so then he ends up answering our questions. He, I end up asking him like, so what was the sentencing? How long? And it's like up to almost 27 years. Cause it was different. So many years for each charge and then he wanted him to do it consecutively um and then he was also going to take into account the amount of time which was 18 months that he had already been serving in the local jail so um then at the end the judge goes he looks at me and college girls he was like are you guys okay like are you two okay and we're like yeah we're good we're like him standing up and speaking to us really helped you know they were saying that they usually don't hear that from any defendants and even his lawyer asked for him to lower his sentence after um he said his speech before the the judge made his decision. So it may or may not have helped. Even the judge was like, I've never had someone say a speech like that. Um, it was very moving. And so, you know, he probably did was a little bit more lenient than what he may have originally planned. But long story short, we end up getting out. Um, it was a Wednesday. So legend was with my parents. I ended up going to meet that guy that I told y'all I met um, that previous weekend and then learned that he was fraud and toxic and all that, that he lied. He said he had two kids. He actually had five that he was not with his girlfriend, but actually they were probably, it came out later that they were just in an argument and they were back together or whatever the case may be. I don't know. A whole bunch of drama. I didn't want anything to do with, but I did with all that. I dealt with all that on top of the tow tow truck situation. And if you want to hear about all that, you can go listen to my traumas and tribulations episode um, but yeah, at the same time I was dealing with all of this. So I'm getting close on time. Um, I'm going to share the name of the defendant so that you guys can go look up. I do want to preface that what's in the news is not 100% true because I was actually in there and I know what happened and what was said. Um, but it gives you at least like the gist of the information. So if you look up, um, and now it's all public information, I can talk about it. So I won't get in trouble for any of this but if you look up um jamario clinton charlotte north carolina it'll come up on what happened that day and what transpired through this trial and what happened afterwards they do not disclose the victim's name so i'm also not going to disclose the victim's name but um the defendant his name is all over the news um right after we made our decision so that is my traumatizing jury duty experience i know that um this was this was really my third time sitting down to do this and the other two times I was way more distraught than this and it was not on video this is my first time doing it on video so um just know that it was very hard it forever changed my life I still pray and think about both the victim and the defendant all the time I especially pray for the defendant because he not only because he asked me to but because I know that he needs it to kind of get through um these next years so um, my off the handlebars moment is probably that I sat down four times to record this episode. The first time I just couldn't get my mind right and take me back to that place. It was just a lot for me. The second and third times my app glitched on my phone and it did not save. I recorded 55 minutes of it and it just ends up not saving. So this is my fourth time and I was actually able to get a really good silver lining out of this and get to the whole video part of recording podcast. So if it would have saved, I probably wouldn't even be here on video and be able to have this video portion of my podcast. So 
everything happens for a reason. Keep your faith. Everyone stay safe. If you don't already, please um, follow me on Instagram at Off the Handlebars Pod. You can also support me in a monthly subscription. And um, the link is in the description. That is all I have for today. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.